0: And we were lucky the first few people that joined us joined us as full-time volunteers because I remember James, who was our first employee, was like, he saw me present at an event, he was like, I love this, I want to join, uh, I think this can work, it can change the world. And I'm like, great, well, we can't give you any equity because there is none, and uh, you're going to have to move back to your parents and work for free. We've both been burning the candle mm-hmm. to build this thing, I and mean, it's very hard yeah. building a tech company without shareholders, yeah. but... Uh, so we'll have to slow down, but there's definitely no exit, and if anything, we're hoping to have more than just ticketing to offer the world.
1: This is the Proco 360 podcast. I'm Dave Tabor hosting Proco 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs. Today's episode features Josh Ross, co-founder of Humanitix. Josh was introduced to me by our mutual friend, Steve Kinsley of Kinsley Meetings. He's a sponsor of Proco 360. So Steve, this is your shout out. That's it. I'm intrigued, though, by Humanitix. Did I pronounce it right? Yeah, that's <laughs> Cool. It's based in Australia and they decided to open a US headquarters, selecting Colorado. So I'm saying, yes, it's okay to have them on Proco 360. The reason I'm intrigued by Humanitix is that they have a ticket model which is the exact opposite of what drives us all crazy about how we get tickets now rather than big fees the customers are apoplectic about the humanitix model is to charge low fees and give all their profits to children's charities around the world it's a great story that's spreading from down under to colorado so josh glad you're joining me on proco 360 thank you for having me yeah, so I gave a quick overview of Humanitix. How close was I? Maybe you can probably do a better one.
0: Yeah, spot on. The only thing I'd say is the U.S. entity is a 501c3, and it's not actually owned by Australia. It's so its own thing. And so, yeah, we're completely domestic. But still non-profit. a nonprofit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's and, no
1: shareholders. It's yeah. quite a unique model. Uh, and, and your website says that you're a 4 uh, a for. What is the term? It's usually five hundred one c three. No, but uh, oh. uh, for 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 the good. Oh, for purpose. For purpose, yeah. yes. In Colorado and in U S. there's uh, something called a um, oh gosh, what am I thinking of? B corp. Yeah, B corp. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. And and is it a similar kind of a thing? Where did Australia have to give you permission not to put shareholder uh, profits above all? Is that yeah. such
0: a thing? Yeah, it is. It's still it's yeah. There's still that gray area in Australia as well. So,
1: so yeah, yeah, so for being uh, being a for-purpose company lets you uh,
0: care about your more than just shareholders. yeah that's exactly.
1: cool. All right, so talk about the around the fire experience that led to the formation of Humanitix.
0: <laughs> so yeah, me and my co-founder Adam, um, we became best mates at university, and I guess it's not an Australian audience, so mates is friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we use it all the time. Um, and we, in Australia, it's a bit different. Uh, most people don't move out of home if they go to university, they live at home, save up and, uh, try and backpack around the world. Uh, but they don't move out onto college and join a frat and that whole different, that's quite mm. a uniquely American experience as I understand it. And so I did that. I lived at home with my parents, um, at a cafe job and, and saved up and, and spent about two years backpacking on a shoestring. Wow. And a lot of that was with Adam. And so, uh, one very formative trip was in Sri Lanka for a few months, very shortly after the Civil War had finished there, which went on for 30 years and it's quite a brutal one. And uh, we lived with a family in the south that we met on a train and it was in this remote village near a surf spot and just um, had a lot of time to talk because <laughs> there's not much else to do yeah, other than yeah. hike and surf. And, uh, yeah, we we were coming to the end of our degrees and we were cognizant that we were coming back to Sydney to work, me in funds management, Adam, and engineering. And neither of us really had our hearts in it. So we were trying to grapple with what we could do with the rest of our time in our career that was starting, really. And uh, we we didn't come up with a good idea like ticketing with the Booking Fees Fund and children's charities, but we agreed that we'll work as one team because the biggest reason we won't chase our dream would be the fear of loneliness and going it alone when all your friends around you are moving on in their careers, getting a mortgage, moving up in the world. And so we made a promise to each other that when one of us has a good idea... The other one will go all in on helping them. Wow. How much
1: drinking was involved?
0: (laughs) Actually, nothing on that night. But it was a beautiful campfire situation, only because we couldn't access alcohol where we were on that hike. (laughs) had to hike in and out with it. But uh, yeah, it was. And and so yeah, like seven years later, we came up with a good idea. What were you um, doing in the meantime? I worked in funds management in Sydney. I was in the investment team looking at different business models and public shares, so buying and selling shares where I... Yeah. Getting very disillusioned with the mm. faceless shareholder model.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and they, your partner was doing his thing in engineering?
0: Yeah. Went and worked in management consulting it's, and, and in a tech practice. Yeah.
1: So what happened? Who called who with this idea, you know, seven years later? It says, okay, remember that promise we made? Um, so we were talking about it pretty much the whole time, mm.
0: except we were, you know, I was 26, he was 27. And uh, again, I, I took off six weeks after working at the same funds management firm for six years. I went to Kashmir hiking and Adam joined me because we do a lot together. Yeah. And, uh, my dad came and my dad actually had a accident and almost died. We were mountain biking and, uh, he had to get airlifted from a remote part in Kashmir all the way down to Delhi and it took about 12 days to get him back to Sydney. He's fine mm. now. He's riding a bike again, wow. but it was a very scary moment. And I got back to Sydney and I was just upset with myself. I'm like, I said, you know, I said, I'd do something cool with my life. Like I, I don't want to just work at a job that doesn't mean anything to me and, we just haven't come up with a good idea, but we're not... So we doubled down, like me and Adam, you know, this was a conversation between the both of us, and we Mm -hmm. put in the diary, like, three nights a week, we're meeting up to work on whatever that is. And uh, so we became religious about getting something off the ground, and, you know, between his technology experience and my funds management experience, we started modelling out different tech industries we thought were ripe for disruption with an ethical Mm -hmm. point of difference, and, well, everyone hates ticketing platforms. (laughs) I just mentioned (laughs) at the intro, and so we kept coming back to that.
1: Wow. Well, now... We don't all hate ticketing platforms. We just hate the fees that they charge. I mean, right, you buy a $50 ticket and end up with a $79 bill, right? And yeah, uh, yeah. so so your model's different. In fact, I was looking at some $10 tickets to a new Belgian brewing tour. There was a $1.79 fee with a note. Good on you. Humanitix donates 100% of profit from your booking fees to children's charities. So it's like, yeah, there's a little fee and okay. Yeah. And, and most of that's the credit card fees. So, oh, sure <laughs> yeah. it is. Of course it has to be. Yeah. So, so what when you talk about donating profit, what is profit? I mean, your team has to get paid, so you know you can't give away that money. So, what is profit? So, if we were a for-profit company, we would have revenue and expenses, and in that
0: expense line is the is the staff. Um, we have the same situation as a nonprofit, except we have no shareholders. So, when we make a profit, our dividend goes to our education programs instead of the shareholders. And so when you think about the traditional model, like the shareholders are the wealthiest people in the world, we've reimagined that and put the world's poorest children who need access to education to break a cycle of poverty
1: where the shareholders would traditionally be. Wow. So though, and how do you decide how much the, the founders make? I mean, how do you decide when it's time? You're going to have a baby, you told me, before we started. So does yeah. that get you a raise? Yeah, <laughs> how so, does that work?
0: <laughs> <laughs> My
1: child's part of the education fund. Oh, exactly. I'm, I'm yeah, joking, yeah, yeah, yeah. i joking, I'm joking. <laughs> um, so,
0: look, the first few years were really tough because – if you don't have shareholders, you can't attract investors. So me and Adam moved back to our parents' place in our late 20s. So,
1: Come on. Pretty you guys moved back home? Yeah.
0: And uh, my go- our girlfriends at the time were very forgiving. <laughs> wow. But we went from good jobs to earning nothing. And you're not even getting sweat equity. So it's quite a mental, yeah. mental tra- uh, challenge. Um, and we were lucky. The first few people that joined us joined us as full-time volunteers. Because I remember James, who was our first employee, was like, he saw me present at an event. And he's like, I love this. I want to join. Uh, I think this can work could change the world. And I'm like, great. Well, we can't give you any equity because there is none. And uh, you're oh. going to have to move back to your parents and work for free because that's what me and Adam wow. was doing. But then in 2018, we uh, we won the Google Impact Challenge, which gave us a million dollars prize money, very little strength A attached.
1: million dollars?
0: Yeah. It looks for the best tech ideas to change the world. Wow. And that allowed us to professionalize. But we got to about 11 people at Adam's parents' home, Working around the place, including his 91 year old grandfather who lives with his parents <laughs> still today. And so it was quite a unique start to a, a nonprofit because we're this hybrid of a tech company. Yeah. But to answer your question, our board are all volunteers and they effectively choose me and Adam salary and approve it. What? Yeah. Uh, uh, all our staff are paid salaries. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But our board members are volunteers. And they, oh, and they decide what your comp ought to be. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. I yeah. thought for, at first I thought, you know, you're, you're volunteer employees, but no, these are your volunteer yeah. board. I get and, it. So that and, makes... And just
0: a show as well, eight years, uh, seven years into the journey, I was in a very overpaid industry, but I'm still earning less than I was, but I'm now earning a respectable salary. Wow. I don't feel sorry for myself. And this year, Australia and New Zealand will give a... Three to four
1: million dollars to our projects sustainably. Wow, that's amazing. Which yeah. is substantially more than you're paying yourself, right? Uh, definitely. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you saw the car I rocked up in. <laughs> oh God, you still have what? I'm sorry. You saw the car I rocked up oh, in. Oh <laughs> yes, I did see. Oh, oh yes, I did see that. And for the listeners who didn't, it, it was not. Um, it, it It was not a Tesla. <laughs> no, it was not a Tesla. Hey, you're listening to ProCo 360, named Best Colorado Business Podcast in 2021 and 2022. I'm your host Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneur who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. My guest today is Josh Ross of Humanitix from Australia and now in Colorado. So, you know, your, um, your website, Josh, says that... That well, basically, it's got kind of a comment that says, "Join the movement to align technology with humanity." And companies that are listed there—you mentioned that you won the the Google uh, what was it called? Impact Challenge. Impact Challenge. Yeah, there are other companies there listed: TEDx, uh, Facebook, Red Bull. I mean, what's that about? Like, why were those other companies listed on your website relative to that? Yeah, yeah. those other companies listed on your tickets to their event, promote their event, collect fees for their
0: event, etc. And The reason event organizers switch to it are a couple. One, uh, we have amazing human customer support Hmm. in a world where tech companies are notorious for not being able to speak to anyone.
1: Oh, yeah, the bots.
0: Yeah, all our profits fund these amazing children's charities, and that doesn't cost you anything extra. In fact, you'll save money switching to us. Like, for example, in America, if you're a nonprofit, you get to use our platform at cost price, which is half of Eventbrite's fees.
1: A fraction of Ticketmasters.
0: If you're a for-profit, we're still 30% cheaper than Eventbrite. That's before considering the social Mm. impact. Wow. And then the platform's amazing. Um, Our biggest funders are the – well, Google through that competition. They're not an ongoing funder, but they're –
1: Yeah. A uh, million dollars goes pretty far when you're living at home.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then uh, Atlassian, which is the biggest tech company in Australia and and quite an impressive company, their foundation's our biggest partner. So they were the Uh, first ones to step up and say – right, this has worked really well in Australia and New Zealand. Let's take it to the world's biggest ticketing market. And just so you know, America's half the world's booking fees. <laughs> wow. You guys pay more than anyone else. Um,
1: yeah, I, I think on my last ticket there was a facilities fee, a bathroom fee, a breathing fee. It's like, God, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gets outrageous, yeah. S- okay, but I want to back up a little bit because I I always wonder – now. I think I'm getting a better sense for this in, in talking because you really – I was going to say I always wonder when a company is more about the philanthropy than actually about the goods or services, about being a business. Though in talking with you, it strikes me that you're really about being a, a nonprofit. You're really about being a philanthropic organization that drives revenue through ticket distribution. Is, that, is I mean it's yeah. like a different, a different balance than what I expected before we started talking.
0: Yeah, f- philosophically, like, the reason I'm doing this is because I want to, because it's, it's, it's engaging, it's meaningful, and it's fun. Like, I work with amazing people doing something I'm proud of at the end of the day. But we recognize that it's all cute and well that the profits go to really needy projects. But if we don't give people the best ticketing platform in the world, then serious event organizers won't compromise on features and service. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, before I drew a salary, we'd hired developers. And if you walk into our office, it looks like a tech for-profit company Hmm. and that's because it's product first. We want to change the world. We have to win on value proposition because most people don't have the time to learn about what you're about.
1: So, well, you know, this is what has my head going back and forth and that is that there are a lot of companies that start as business and they use philanthropic pursuits to drive customer acquisition, to drive customer engagement. They're, they're using philanthropy as a tool to drive their business I can't quite figure out where you guys are. It seems like you're more using ticket distribution as a means to raise money for things you believe in.
0: So if you look at global stats on giving, it hasn't changed much the last decade. It's just getting reshuffled. And so when me and Adam started this out, we didn't want to create a new charity because there's so much duplication in that sector that just does the same thing, but has a better marketing budget so it gets your donated dollar because that's not growing the pie. Mm -hmm. So we looked at ways to grow the pie. And this is accretive to the world of solving problems. And fundamentally, we, we don't think capitalism's completely broken. We're not a bunch of hippies run off rejecting everything at all. Um, but we think it's a fun experiment. And to think that mm. it stopped evolving here would be just that that's actually not capitalism. And yeah. so we're trying to do it better in a way that's more compassionate. Um, and it's a, yeah, it's a meaningful experiment. But you're not really doing capitalism. We are because no, we're not taxing anyone. If you want to, if you want the best ticketing service for your business yeah. you come to Humanitix because A we give you great branding you look good yeah. you get great product at a better price you're using us for every selfish reason you can imagine and it does good in the world and I reckon there's a meaningful proportion that use us cuz we do good in the world but there's also a lot of event organizers who just want the best platform at the best mm. price and so yeah capitalism is that you act in self-interest but I don't think it's self-interest to sell more fast food if it's killing people because you make more money. That's a flawed way of our thinking. I think capitalism's done more to lift people out of poverty than any other system we've devised. And we're just an evolution in one model of it.
1: Yeah. I don't yeah. know if you
0: saw what Patagonia did recently, but.
1: Where the owner gave away his company. Yes.
0: Yeah, so and now the millions of dollars in profits they make every year go to conserving our natural yeah, environment. Yeah, yeah. Similar concept, but we're software. And the reason we went after software is because it makes a higher return on capital in the for profit world. And we thought, cool. It's the most powerful force in business.
1: Mm-hmm. Can we use that to improve the world? So the ticketing piece, um, love it. It's great. You know, I mean, it and it seems. But could it have been? It could have been anything, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, ticketing is particularly ripe for disruption. Is that what it was? You. What was there an epiphany that you guys had about ticketing? <laughs> well, think of it this way: like in technology, costs come down over time.
0: That's a given rule. Yeah. In ticketing, they haven't. Uh, in fact, they've uh, gone up uh, even though you no longer get a yes. physical
1: ticket. So, super profits. It's, a I mean, conve- f- it's more convenient. You pay for that, right? To yeah. Not that,
0: a f- I mean, think about everything else you buy online. Do you get slugged with this stuff? Ticketing is not a dark art, it's not like super complicated. Uh, yeah. I mean, we were chatting to a massive festival promoter in Colorado recently and we were talking about the issues of sculpting. And so, you know, there's so many different solutions for that. You think we haven't, that, that hasn't been solved? But the incentive structure is not there to solve it because these big incumbent ticketing platforms make more fees on the secondary market. So they don't want to solve scalping.
1: That's right. It's a percentage of a higher price. Yeah. Multiplied several dipping. times. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yes. So, um, so it's just so ripe for disruption.
1: Well, and that's why I think, you know, the sports venues and all the professional sports teams, they they want you to resell your tickets through particular channels, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's why. Yeah. And
0: so here's, here's a simple solution. I'm not saying I can't be get around, but like... Okay, you buy a ticket three months in advance. Why don't you get emailed the digital ticket one hour before the game? Makes it very hard for a ah, sculptor to resell it.
1: Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? wouldn't get
0: it completely rid of the problem, but, like, that's the simplest solution. Like, and our platform can do that, but it's not in your interests necessarily. Oh,
1: boy. <laughs> yeah. All right. This is very interesting. All right. So now you you also we, – we were talking before before we got together today about the idea that, um, you know, it's easier for you to jump in and and – disrupt in an event right market where it's controlled by individual users, right? But you you said, but some of the big ticketing things, um, those are run and controlled by large contracts, right? Explain that.
0: Yeah. So if you're a venue, um, you might put your ticketing out to tender and big incumbents will come and be like, hey, Josh, here's $10 million up front, but we want exclusivity over your venue for the next five years. Um, now, what that means is if you're a Dell touring the country, and there's one eighty thousand person stadium in Denver that you want to play at. You have to use that incumbent. And if they have these deals all around the country, then they have the network effect for a sellout artist. And wow. if you don't go with them in the city where there's um where there's an alternative, they make it hard for you to get your tour dates in the other cities without saying it quite like that. Wow. And so, so it's a very ugly monopolistic end of town at the big end yeah. of town.
1: So that means somebody like you could only break in very very slowly in small it's venues it's up, and yeah. yeah or because even even like really important artists just can't break that right they can't make an arena with a contract change the way they do it they just don't have that leverage anymore do they
0: it's true but they still have more when you're that big yeah like taylor swift you can dictate how your tickets are released to the uh, public.
1: It didn't work so well for her though, did but it? Did,
0: <laughs> but did she really try? I don't or know. Is t- or is Ticketmaster just the convenient one to blame? So yeah. It's, That's uh, – so what so is if, your – For yeah. like 99.9% of artists yeah. that have no choice. But when yeah. you're Taylor Swift, you choose how you sell your tickets if huh. you really care.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. So how – do you see yourselves ultimately um, competing in, against a, a big player in the future?
0: I'd like to, yeah, and we're starting to in Australia and New Zealand where we're Mm. more
1: mature. Really? Yeah. Um, How does that work so those contracts don't exist there?
0: No, they do, Um, but we're a household brand there and and we're financially much stronger and uh, we've got a track record for seven years and we're now, I think, the second largest ticket Mm. platform in the country after Ticketmaster. So we're no longer, like here, you you know, we've got to rebuild our credit, which we are. We've been here for almost two years and it's growing really quickly and- Mm.
1: Well, but yeah. do consumers in Australia have leverage to where they're pressuring venues and artists to use humanitics instead because the fees are different because of the the way you use your money? Do they really exert pressure?
0: Uh, some, yes. But I would say it's m- the, the reason we're winning at the big end of town or starting to is because we're a- offering the most value. Hmm. So we don't try and guilt trip. And, they, and it won't. Those are big businesses with, you know, their return on capital they need to hit. Yeah. But, for example, we, we ticket – so, you, you know, New Year's Eve in Sydney. It's massive around the Harbour Bridge and Opera House. Yes, yes, 40,000 yes. tickets sold by the state government around the precinct. That's all on our platform. Wow. Untitled Group are the largest festival promoters in Australia. They sell tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars in tickets. They switched to us last year from – they were on Eventbrite, then Ticket then mm-hmm. to us. And it was for – because we're the best platform. We've actually got really amazing software and solved the problems that they couldn't solve with those wow. other platforms. Did that go smoothly? Yeah, it's, they're, yeah, they're resigning with us this year. All right, congrats yeah. on that. And so, we're, you know, we – and I'd say for the small community event organizers, they're switching to us largely for ethical reasons. Mm-hmm. At the very big end of town, it's the icing on the cake, but it's not the mm-hmm. reason to switch. You can't be cute when you're doing those yeah, – when you've yeah. got a big business to service. Yeah, you
1: you, you got to be able to deliver. Totally, yeah. totally. So your growth has been phenomenal. I mean uh, you doubled in size every six months for the last how long? Uh, almost since conception, although COVID messed that up for a yeah, while, yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah, yeah. Pu- pulling that out. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's impressive. Um, yeah. and have you seen that kind of growth in the U S
0: uh, actually America is growing much quicker than Australia or New Zealand ever did. Wow. Yeah.
1: Is that, you know, it's easy to have a, a hockey stick growth curve when you're starting out, yeah. you know, double, 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 you know, it's easy, but as you start to, to get more traction, are you still growing that quickly? Uh, in Australia, yes, because,
0: of again, of the COVID operations. So it's a bit playing funny on the prior yeah, yeah, yeah. periods. In America, we've got years of that still ahead of us. And it's actually growing quicker here for a couple of reasons. One is the financial incentive to switch to us is much higher because the starting pay- position of the competitors' <laughs> fees is so, so high. So high, yeah. But I also think people here are screaming out for change more because they've mm. been getting price gorged for so long. Um, that, and we've started with a world class platform where in Australia, that took us a while to get to. Yeah,
1: I would think the very first version uh, doesn't look anything like what it does today. Exactly. Yeah how exactly. how many developers do you have now? Uh, Ten. Ten full time and, and a size. designer,
0: UX/UI, two designers and yeah.
1: yeah. So uh, I want to switch gears in a second to how you use that money. First, I want to remind listeners, this is ProCo 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the podcast featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Josh Ross of Humanitix. Go to proco 360com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And uh, I'm not sure I thanked my sponsors yet. I want to do that. Uh, Kinsley Meetings. Kinsley Meetings is Proco 360's longest running sponsor. That business is growing because they've got a reputation for conducting meetings with lots of moving parts and complexity. So give them a call. Also via technologies. You guys really appreciate you hosting Proco 360 and all the great help you give me around managing the website. Also Colorado Business Magazine, Colorado Biz Magazine. Our partnership is one of building our audiences together. So please go to proco360.com and check them all out. And now I want to talk uh, with Josh about, you know, you've donated, how much have you donated now?
0: Uh, This calendar year, we should donate three to four to date. It's just under 3 million. Wow.
1: Yeah. So that's how much you're ramping up. You're going to double what you gave this year to what you've given the entire life of your business.
0: in before COVID hit, annualizing February's run rates, and February was a peak month Hmm. in 2020, yeah, in 2020. We were selling just under 100 million in tickets per annum. Now our volumes are closer to a few hundred, to closer to 300 million.
1: Wow, tickets.
0: Yeah, tickets processed per wow. annum. So that's... that's not our money; that's our client's money. But Understand. so yeah, we're, we're almost three and a half times our size pre-COVID, and all mm. of that ramp up has happened in the last nine months. Yeah,
1: wow. So have you? I mean, there's some lovely pictures on your website, you know, of of children and you know, obviously groups that you're supporting, have you gone and had personal experiences, you know, with the money that you're applying to these groups?
0: Uh, yes, and but not as much as I'd like to have. Um, so in Australia, I don't know how much you know about our history, but um, the Aboriginal population obviously drew a really short straw in terms of the history that is still being rectified today. Like if you look mm-hmm. at all, every well-being statistic, you know, they die 10 years earlier on uh, life expectancy, uh, incarceration rates, you name it. So in Australia, a lot of our profits fund Indigenous programs. And uh, we're helping regional kids from disadvantaged backgrounds go to great high schools and get onto tertiary education if, if it's appropriate. And uh, we've actually launched an internship program with our partner, Yallery, which are in Queensland mm. and Indigenous group, um, where we offer them paid internships, where they come into our office and get taught about technology and sales, et cetera wherever their interest lies. And so I became friends with a guy, Tyrese, who was a scholar who finished, went to university. Um, He's now looking at a trade, but he he's, yeah. So I've got to touch and feel it in Australia. Uh, I haven't, we also do quite a, I mean, we now do work in America and about six weeks ago or just before Christmas, I was at a a school here in Denver for the hour of code because we uh, partner with code.org, which teaches computer science and tech literacy to uh, not exclusively, but largely kids from lower socioeconomic economic backgrounds, and so a bit. But I haven't got to go to like, you know, I'd love to go to Nepal or some of the programs yeah. we fund in low-income
1: countries. So. Some places where you were hiking uh, before all this, right? Exactly. Yeah. We'll combine it. <laughs> That'd be cool. That'd yeah. be really cool. Now, I mean, you know, as you, I think every every founder has a moment when they're when they're building their business and. um where you're like, yeah, this is actually maybe gonna work. You must have had a moment like that.
0: Yeah. Um, so we came up with this idea in 2015, but we, we launched in 2016. And we launched, like me and I, and we didn't have much money to put into this. We were 26 and 27 respectively. And uh, we were bootstrapping it. And within a year, we'd sold like several million dollars in ticket sales with a very glued together bunch of wordpress plugins and so we knew it was going to work if we could build a proper product (laughs) but the the mvp did way better than we expected and the you know and so that that we kind of knew it could work then we just didn't know what that path to like would we stuff it up was
1: Was there a moment where you guys looked at each other and like holy crap uh
0: yeah i'd say it's actually been happening since covid abated because uh it's just everything's firing um COVID was the scariest moment for us. Mm. I mean, we saw our revenue going from doubling every six months to zero. Uh,
1: Yeah, you've mentioned COVID several times, and I guess I didn't realize quite the ramification of that, but when you're selling tickets and people are no longer going out, you do go from whatever your momentum was to zero.
0: Yeah, we we are probably second to airlines in terms of an industry really badly disrupted. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's others out there. Um, But yeah, the whole events space. I mean, we had event organizers we'd built relationships with and still have relationships Mm -hmm. with who... We're losing their livelihoods at a time. We didn't know if we were losing our livelihoods either because we didn't know how long it would take and...
1: Australia. But you didn't have much of a livelihood then. <laughs> <laughs> I just scraped together a
0: livelihood after five years of sweating it. I mean, if no. you,
1: you know, I guess you just tell your parents, no. I'm going to be here longer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. uh,
0: we're fortunately through that. Our staff are paid fairly now. Oh, that's good. Myself. Good, but, good.
1: Yeah. Um, let's talk about your values. They're on your website. Uh, there are four of them. Uh, you know, uh, Some I would expect show up, be bold, keep it weird. I get that. You know, people being their true selves, which I appreciate. I get that. My favorite though to me is the most interesting the world is not screwed up is your value is one of your values so talk about that
0: well in australia profanity is like a big part of the culture i think it comes with being a, a nation of convicts once upon <sighs> a time and so yeah. we actually tweaked that for america Oh, really? <laughs> it used to be worse oh <laughs> uh, yes i can imagine okay all right <laughs> yeah um in fact funny side tangent there's a company in australia called who gives a crap and uh, is that really what it's called yeah that's literally. Wow. And, and I, Please go on YouTube and look at their advertising. Yeah. After this, it is so funny. But half the profits of their toilet paper sales go to sanitation projects in low-income countries, and so it's it's a different model to ours, but it's equally as cool in its own right.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, similar right. kind of a deal. So is it? But it's not a nonprofit, is it's it? It's not a nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. but just a great for-profit Do, business. Yeah. Do you see yourselves? I mean, you know, Chat GBT said we're going to be a nonprofit, we're going to give it away. Blah blah. All of a sudden, you know that they got so big that that changed right? You know, people wanted, they wanted what they wanted and, you know, employees wanted stock options, all these things. So, so it's changing. At some point, come on, if you get so big, are you going to stay a nonprofit? You know? Uh, yeah. yeah. So I don't know exactly what happened there. Um,
0: I don't know the structure around it, yeah. but I was disappointed to see that they sold out on that vision as far as I can tell. Um, so with Humanitix, it's, it's, we've structured it so that if ever it was sold, the proceeds of that sale are not me and Adam's. They are the charities, which is regulated. It's a 501c3 and the equivalent in Australia. So the proceeds have to go to our education programs. And so there's no incentive for us to sell. Wow. Um, I mean, could the Gates Foundation come knocking and say this is a strategic charity asset? Mm. Maybe. And maybe they give us a billion dollars for humanities and great, we can fund mm-hmm. our education programs more effectively. Mm. But it, that's the scenario if it does happen. And I don't, I'm not. Yeah. That's not the plan. Like for me and Adam, we want to do this for the next for our lifetimes. Yeah. We're so not, there's no think, exit
1: strategy for you and Adam. No, no. There's no jumped, riding off uh, into no, the sunset.
0: No, um, no. Um, I don't think it's sustainable what we've been doing personally. Like we've both been burning the candle mm. to build this thing. I and mean, it's very hard yeah, building a yeah. tech company without shareholders, yeah. but, uh, so we'll have to slow down, but there's definitely no exit. And if anything, we are hoping to have more than just ticketing to offer the world in the next five years. Ah, so yeah. we're already starting to think of other products we can do this with.
1: That's what I was wondering too. Yeah. and, Humanitix, I suppose, is a name that could travel. You yeah. know, sure, it's got ticks in it, but, you know, it could be a lot of things, I would, I would think.
0: Yeah, hopefully. What are you thinking? Uh, so I think this model works well where you have a relatively commoditized product that is highly scalable and without cultural barriers to international expansion. So ticketing is, a, a, you know, using humanitix in Australia or New Zealand or America makes no difference. Yeah. Same as Microsoft Word. We all mm-hmm. use it the same way, mm-hmm. where other industry verticals vary different world by country by country. Mm. And so we think a lot of business models could be disrupted. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. So do you think... I mean, Patagonia uh, proved it in... Oh, power. sure. I mean, theirs is different. They converted to a yeah. nonprofit. profit
1: Are companies, are ideas starting to, and I know you can't share them necessarily, but are ideas starting to find their way to you for new new expansions of this kind of model?
0: yeah, we're actually doing a retreat with some of the philanthropists next year mm. on this exact thing where everyone's job is to come with the next best idea,
1: really. Um, so that's an interesting thing. I mean, ultimately, then you'll have to scale because you and Adam can't be in charge of everything and have families and have lives and take time off, right? So ultimately, you're going to have to scale like an organization,
0: yeah, I and mean, we've we've been that's what I've been working on here the last year is building up the management team in Denver so that it's less dependent on me and Adam. Hmm. And so we've got great people here, just like any organization, for-profit or non-profit. Yeah.
1: Well, I think you've, you've partially answered this, but you know, my my last question was sort of how you think about scaling, you know, most for-profit companies, their, their mission almost is to grow. Their mission almost is to increase shareholder value, right? (laughs) Some in some, some are not, you know, I think there are a lot of companies that aren't run that way, but, but, um, but, but part of their ambition is always growth. Does mission change your, your growth ambition? Yeah.
0: Uh, on that, I've got really strong views. I think once a company goes public with a distributed shareholder base with voting rights, it loses its soul because I've been on the other side of the fence as a quarterly fund manager. You don't care about whatever you've invested in. You care about next quarter's performance. You can't yeah. afford to care about anything else. If it's a family business or a tightly held business, it can be incredibly ethical and a good actor in this world. But once it's faceless shareholders putting in the board and management team, it's growth at all costs that you can get away with.
1: Yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> so, know, I, you know, I've always – and, and um, I, I've known many leaders of public companies who I respect a lot. I think – and who I like and who I think are ethical and kind-hearted. Um, I've also known some that have lost their jobs maybe for those reasons. But it's – um, I, I always – I'm always troubled by a company with a mission that includes maximizing shareholder value because I don't even think that works. I just don't think it works. Yeah, I think it's
0: uh I think it really depends on structure in the long term. If it becomes faceless shareholders then it's doomed in my view. Yeah. Because I mean look look if we had data that told us that our selling tickets was causing teenagers to commit suicide in America, we'd stop because it doesn't outweigh the education programs we fund. Like just look at all these tech companies that would have started off with very noble missions, like Uber. we're going to help the single mother find work in the hours she can work. Now the business model works around the world because it skirts around labor laws, and people don't understand the true cost of maintenance for their business. So you've got Uber drivers all around the world having issues with the company because you know, if you're driving 60 hours a week for Uber, you're a taxi driver, you're an employee, but there's a loophole. So like I think ultimately, companies evolve with their shareholder base. And mm-hmm. once, you know.
1: And your shareholder base is philanthropists or unpaid. Or we don't have unpaid. shareholders. Right. Well, they're, yeah. your stake- I, stake- stakeholders, stakeholders would yeah. be a better word, right? Yeah. Of, yeah. Of yeah.
0: Philanthropists who have backed this model because they think it's going to have a great philanthropic return on mm-hmm. capital for the world's most deserving education programs. Is that
1: a term, philanthropic return on capital?
0: We've coined it. So oh. <laughs> I'm sure someone else has said it. Maybe we maybe we technically didn't coin it, but, but yeah. That's how we measure ourselves. Cool. Like how much good can we do with a dollar that a philanthropist's given us? Ah. And yeah, we're trying to replicate venture-like returns, but for the world of philanthropy.
1: That's cool. I think that's a good note to end on. Thanks. Let's do that. Yeah. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Josh Ross of Humanitix. And uh, I'm glad you can make it down here to the studio. It's nice to meet you in person. Oh, well, likewise. And thanks so much for having me, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Happy to. Listeners... Glad you're here on ProCo 360, where we say, live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado, sometimes after they've chosen Australia, but you made it here. So glad you're here, Josh. And uh, listeners, you make the show successful by subscribing to the ProCo 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit a review in your app. Thanks again to show sponsors via Technologies, Kinsley Meetings, and Colorado Biz Magazine. That's the podcast. Live, work, love, Colorado.